Hey, welcome to The Heavy with Andrew and Don, where we cover a large range of rock and metal topics for the casual listener. I'm your host, Don Sutherland, and with me, as always, is my brother, Andrew Sutherland. What's up, dirtbags? Uh, remember, you can email us at theheavypod at gmail.com or DM us on Facebook. Andrew, what are we talking about today? Uh, we're going to do a quick history of industrial music. So I feel yeah. like we've already done that, though. Have we no, not? no, no. No, we talked about ministry specifically. Oh, okay. But they, there's just yeah. one piece. Of, okay. Ministry is like right. a, definitely a big a big deal in industrial music. But uh, yeah, I'm going to go a little bit further back and then uh, cover a bunch more bands that I like in that genre. Okay, sweet. Let's do it. Yeah, this is a this is more of a chance for me to talk about a bunch of music that has like, like you know guilty pleasure stuff. <laughs> like yeah, some of the electronic music that I that I like is not necessarily metal. Is that how you justify listening to it? Like yeah, it's just some weird stuff I'm kind of into sometimes. Yeah, well, I mean, everyone's got that stuff that they listen to with their windows rolled up in their car and they turn it down low and people are walking by kind of thing. It's true. Yeah. Uh, Taylor Swift. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, do, I do not listen to much Taylor Swift. But, uh, I'm, a, I'm a big Taylor Swift. She was my yeah. number one artist last year on uh, my like Spotify wrapped. Hmm. Not, well, this, yeah. this year it was someone else, but last year it was, it was Taylor Swift. I guess millions of people in the world would agree with you because I guess she's pretty popular apparently. But Yeah, I'd be in the majority, so that's good. Yeah, I suppose. So, uh, like we were just mentioning, we did a couple episodes on Alec Jorgensen and, and ministry early on in the uh, in the podcast. And uh, what, obviously, right. ministry is one of the most influential groups in the development of industrial music, especially as the music transitioned from mostly electronic to the addition of guitars, uh, all the way to industrial metal, where the electronic component kind of took a backseat to the heavy guitar and other metal instrumentation. Yeah, and, and it'll kind of make sense more when... When do you hear it? Because I understand what you're talking about, but I feel like that might kind of uh, abstract until you hear exactly what it's all about. Yeah, and anybody who's not sure what we're talking about, go back and listen to the, the ministry episodes, especially the, the first one we did. Mm-hmm. So going back the, before that even, so back to the extremely early days during uh, World War II, industrial music was liter- okay. literally music played in industry to increase productivity and morale. <laughs> Although like... Not not too closely related musically to modern industrial music, right? But it, but it was like literally like music in industry, right? And uh, the first half of the 20th century also saw music created both for for industry and then also attempting to replicate industrial factory sounds and the atmosphere of it. Okay, now I'm starting to understand where it comes together. Yeah, like this is very very early. This is where the originally I guess the music had more of a practical purpose. Right. And then they started experimenting with actual sounds you know, using like trying to replicate the, the noises from a factory or like the an industrial atmosphere, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm assuming someone blends it together. Yeah, that's kind of works. Yeah, like another early influence of the birth of industrial music. It came from, uh, there's a few bands in the 1960s in Germany, uh, obviously West Germany, <laughs> that uh, <laughs> they used electronic sounds, various noises, uh, heavy percussion and distorted vocals. And from what I've read in some articles, it was allegedly known as Teutonic music because of the German origins. Oh, okay. That makes any sense. Apparently, Teutonic refers to Germany, the Teutons, I guess. Okay. okay. So if you've ever listened to the ongoing history of new music, you ever listened to that podcast, the Alan Cross one? Uh, no, I haven't. Not. Oh, nice. I, I know well, of it. I just do it. I highly recommend that. It's a, it's a very, very good podcast. So in Alan Cross's podcast... He chronologically follows the evolution of music from the post-punk era of the 1970s, from from new wave to technopop, comparing this new music to punk in attitude and the uh, willingness to overlook ability, but with synthesizers instead of guitars, you know, when you compare it to punk. Yeah. A couple of bands, uh, even before that, actually, a couple of bands that, uh, electronic bands, were a group called Tangerine Dream and another group called Kraftwerk. And they were... Oh, I know Kraftwerk, yeah. Yeah, they're they're influential. Like earlier, before industrial became a thing, this is probably more earlier, like late '60s, early '70s. Right, like pioneering the sound. Yeah. So as far as making making the music, the the synthesizer itself was fundamentally important to this new music. Specifically, the uh, the first portable synth. It was invented by a guy named Robert Moog, and it was available in uh, retail stores in 1970. It was called the Mini Moog. So he'd invented uh, another synthesizer before that, but it was quite large, and not as it was more expensive and harder to transport. 
Right. So yeah, and uh, it was like 1970-71, he invented this thing called the Mini Moog that you could just buy in stores and it was somewhat affordable. So like the availability, portability, and affordability of this smaller synth device was uh, it made the creation of this new electronic music possible and like accessible for more people. Okay. So. Yeah, I, uh, I I'm familiar with the synthesizer. Uh, just the whole time I was thinking. I thought it was Moog for my entire life. Ah, it's, it's probably Moog. Oh, I oh are you just, like, you're just saying Moog? I'm saying Moog because Andy Moog like the goalie for the Boston Bruins. <laughs> I always, that's, so, yeah. that's so much more specific. <laughs> well, then now now, you, oh, now I, I don't remember because I, I know when I, was, when I was listening to Alan Cross's podcast, he pronounced it properly, and now I don't remember if it was Moog or Moog. Let's say Moog. I, I don't know. Google <laughs> says Moog. So, okay, yeah, now Moog. I feel a little better. I thought I was yeah, going yeah. insane for this. The, the spelling's the same. <laughs> so uh, a pre-industrial release, like pre-industrial music release that would argue, arguably have some impact on the scene was uh, an album called Metal Machine Music. It was a double album that Lou Reed released in 1975. And it was allegedly as a fuck you to his record label RCA, who he was committed to releasing a certain amount of material for. Uh, and the entire double album is just feedback and noise guitar effects with like no rhythm or conventional song structure. Oh, it's and, like uh, modern Radiohead. Okay. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I don't even get started. <laughs> although, uh, although pretty much unlistenable, it's still influential and has its place in the avant-garde music scene. Yeah. So just kind of, I, I guess, the statement it made with the noises goes, sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So when I say avant-garde, I kept hearing that in some of the stuff I was reading and listening to, and I was, it sounds kind of goofy, but it actually, it, it's pretty on point because it means art that is radical or reflects originality of vision. So it, it, when, when you're talking about music where they're really going out of the norm and like creating these original types of music, it's like it really uh, really makes sense to yeah. use that terminology. So the term industrial, as it refers to music in our modern understanding, came from a group called Throbbing Gristles record label. It was uh, called Industrial Records, and it was influenced by a phrase from an artist named Monty Kazaza, and his phrase wow. it was uh, industrial music for industrial people. And it was like, he was like, a friend of the band or whatever and then they ended up calling their record label industrial records okay so this uh this late 70s early 80s industrial music from groups like throbbing gristle uh, cabaret voltaire and spk were maybe more inspired by artists and thinkers more than actual musicians and often uh, counterculture and controversial topics it was very much a very much a punk mentality to be honest, though, I'm much more of a fan of where industrial music would go after these early groups. I find this early stuff, like, this is a personal taste thing, but I find their, their music too artsy and hard to yeah. listen to for the most part. But they definitely play a huge role in getting the genre started. So in, industrial become, musically, become more like hard-edged dance beats with fairly harsh vocals. And yeah. later on, sometimes simply rock, alt-rock, or metal with electronic elements and or sampling. Yeah, there's one band specifically I can think of that hits all of those but i feel like you're talking about them so i won't say it okay well if, if i don't if we get to the end of it and i haven't talked about them you can bring them up i feel like you'd have to but we'll, we'll get to that <laughs> yeah we'll see i mean i'm not perfect i could have missed something but yeah, <laughs> yeah. the uh, the first group around this time to merge electronic music with heavy guitars was an english band called killing joke so the we may have talked about them in a past episode as well and uh, Metallica covered a song of theirs called The Weight on Garage Days Re Revisited. Oh, okay. okay. So Killing Joke formed in 1979 and released their self-titled debut in 1980, which actually featured that song, The Weight. And uh, right. although more closely related to goth rock or new wave later in the decade, Killing Joke had some fairly uh, prevalent electronic elements, especially on their first couple albums. And uh, it, it actually had some rhythm and some traditional song structure, unlike some of those earlier bands that I was talking about. Yeah. yeah. So we've talked pretty extensively about Al Jurgensen and ministry in past episodes. And uh, yeah. you, you can't understate ministry's importance to the evolution of industrial music. So uh, after releasing the uh, the record label directed album with sympathy that we talked about in that past episode, it was like pretty, it was like really synth pop, right? Like really mm -hmm. kind of sappy. But yeah, Jorgensen would go on to take industrial music new directions, starting with uh, Twitch in 1986 and adding in heavy guitars to the electronic music later in the decade and basically inventing industrial metal. Hmm. So you can't, uh, I can't get through this, even though we've talked about ministry a lot already, I can't get through this without telling a couple of Al Jorgensen stories. But, uh, <laughs> they're, they're always welcome. If I remember, it was uh, very, very worth it. 
Yeah, well, I'll at least like get one good, I got one good quote out of him, and I hopefully, hopefully I didn't use this quote previously, but before I relate that quote. So in Louder Than Hell, which is a book about the history of metal, but Jorgensen relates how he could play the synth, but not as good as the early industrial bands, and he could play guitar, right. but not as good as metal bands, but he could do both passably, and he ended up grouping them together. So that's kind of how he <laughs> got to where he was, right? Yeah. But uh, this, this great quote that I read, uh, it's, it's Al Jorgensen quote, what I did notice about the difference between our electronic and metal stuff is the kind of chicks I would attract. When I was doing the synth, synth stuff, I got fast chick, or sorry, fat chicks with runny makeup. When I was doing metal, I had skinny chicks with puffed up hair. When I put both together, I kind of got a midway chick with runny makeup and puffy hair. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's so ridiculous. That's <laughs> uh, so silly, I know. So, and uh, one of Jorgensen's other projects, Revolting Cox, is another important industrial band. We talked about them before. Yeah, and, uh, that, I yeah. remember the name. Yeah, and the uh, record label Wax Tracks, which was out of Chicago, I believe, was a big deal in that scene back in the day too. Which uh, Jorgensen was involved with that record label, uh, Wax right. Tracks. So, right. All right. So moving on from Ministry because I can't do a third episode just on <laughs> Ministry. So uh, a band called Skinny Puppy was another influential early industrial group, and they're out of Vancouver, Canada. Oh, I actually know they have that like Smash Glass Houses song. Hmm. I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, great, great song. Yeah, I think it's just called Glass Houses, but uh, kind of creeps me out. But I have heard it quite a bit. Oh man, I, I like for some reason, I, I really had trouble getting into Skinny Puppy, and I don't know why. Like a long time ago, and then I started listening to him a lot for for this podcast, and I really, really got into him. And I like, I don't know how I didn't before. I just didn't really give it a chance. Like they grew on you really fast once you tried it. I don't think I really understood what they were. And like what type of music they were, and and now it's like the perfect balance of all these things for as far as industrial music goes. Like they they don't have a lot of heavy guitar, but just the the beats they have. It's like so. Well, okay, well I'll talk about it. I have stuff written down anyway. But I just I wish I gotten into them earlier, and it's uh, I'm pretty happy that I did this episode because it exposed me to a lot of stuff that I wouldn't have otherwise been exposed to, and I really enjoy it. Right. Yeah. I gotcha. So uh, they they formed in 1982, and they released their first album, Remission, in 1984 which is considered by some to be uh, closer to dark synth pop, like the, uh, the first couple albums, but they'd adopt a more abrasive industrial sound on subsequent albums. So uh, as a lot of industrial music, it's characterized by these hard dance beats, stark drums, uh, tortured, distorted vocals, lots of samples from horror movies and radio, and uh, later on guitar as well. So Skinny Puppy combined it into something chaotic, but somehow cohesive. Uh, I can't remember if I read that somewhere or if I wrote that myself. <laughs> it's an original Andrew line. I like the way it sounds. Yeah, once in a while I come up with something half decent. Uh, I, I watched some videos of live performances from the late 80s, and you can really see how much artists like Nine Inch Nails and Marilyn Manson were heavily influenced by these guys. Right, yeah. Especially... Uh, I knew it's just like Nine Inch Nails has to come up eventually. Oh, it's yeah, not, yeah. It's a pretty obvious, pretty obvious one. Okay, yeah, yeah. Like Nine Inch Nails was influenced by all these guys, but really Nine Inch Nails is like the biggest industrial band in the world, like most successful. Yeah, that's yeah, that's why I was saying like, I know you're going to talk about them and we'll probably just get sidetracked. So yeah, and, and we mean, are. You could do right a now. whole Nine Inch Nails episode. Uh, I'm just going to yeah, probably talk about briefly in this one because I'm, I'm really just touching briefly on all these bands. I'm not going to go really in depth on any one group or yeah. musician, but yeah, totally uh, makes sense. So uh, talking about Skinny Puppy again, Al Jorgensen produced their 1989 album Rabies and contributed some vocals and guitars on it. So uh, I feel like, uh, you know what, I, there was a band that I meant to talk about earlier that I think I missed on, but I think when we get to the uh, workout playlist, I will touch on them, so. They'll, they'll come up, yeah. Yeah, they'll definitely come up. Cool. So next band we'll talk about is a band called KMFDM. So they would come out of Paris, France, uh, originally founded in 1984, but although they came out of Paris, they were formed by a couple of Germans, a guy named Sasha Konisko and an artist named Udo Sturm, although Sturm would leave the group on. Right. So um, they would incorporate heavy guitars into their sound early on, and Konisko has stated how he likes to sample a great riff loop and play it over and over again, which is uh, it's apparent on many of KMFDM songs. Okay. And he had a, I should have written down his quote, but he had a pretty good quote about how you have this great riff and then it's over, so he likes to like loop them so you can get it over and over again. <laughs> And that's where that sound starts to come in. Because, like, even just the description of that, I think, kind of industrial style. Yeah. Well, because even he'll take, like, in a lot of KMFDM songs, he'll take a riff from 
like another artist song like he's, I think he's even used a couple of slayer riffs that I, I remember hearing and he'll uh he'll he'll loop it's a great riff and he'll loop it into a song so you, you get that riff like consistently in the song yeah like 200 times yeah but the, i mean he does it in a way that it doesn't get tiresome you know yeah yeah like it's yeah. it's produced and remixed yeah yeah like kmfdm's got some some great stuff and uh another aside about kmfdm is almost all the band's cover art has been created by an artist named aiden brute hughes and has a very bold distinctive style so if you ever listen to much kmfdm you notice all their uh, artwork and all their albums is very like a similar style and it's uh that's up right now oh i really like that that is super cool that's not kind of disingenuous but like yeah it, it legitimately it's like comic book style yeah and i think it makes for like great t-shirts too oh so absolutely I can, pretty cool t-shirts. I can see this right away that's really awesome and i think it's really fitting for an industrial band too for like the type of music they play it's like the art really coincide like it really meshes well with the music I yeah find. absolutely well even plays with like every single one is a slightly different color that's, yeah it's yeah. really well done yeah he's a pretty pretty cool artist mm-hmm. all right so another group named frontline assembly it's another canadian industrial band out of vancouver so it's uh formed by former skinny puppy bass synth player whatever the hell that is and backup vocalist <laughs> is a guy named bill lieb uh, so another guy named uh, Reese Fulber, he helped lead with the early Frontline Assembly material and eventually became an official member of the band and has been in the band on and off up to the current day. So it's mostly these two guys, uh, Bill Lieb and Reese Fulber. Yeah. So uh, Their music has been categorized as electronic body music, electro-industrial, industrial, industrial rock, and metal. All right. So they've really like changed their sound. Not, not really, I mean, they're fairly consistent, but they've added different elements to their music. Uh, off and on over the years so I mean their early stuff was purely electronic and then they added some guitar and a couple of their albums are very heavy so like a lot of like metal guitar and then they've gone back to like like electronic after that and stuff so and uh, Devin Townsend who we've talked about before he is a metal musician or well not necessarily just metal but a musician from Vancouver as well and he contributed session guitar work on their first industrial metal album uh, called Millennium in 1994 and also on the album after that called hardwired in 1995 so another little tie-in there another another crossover yeah strapping young lad okay i was right i didn't want to say it and sound like an idiot i was like i know that we've talked about him a lot (laughs) and you were really excited about him yeah so john townsend was the the lead singer and guitarist of strapping young lad who we did a podcast on him earlier on yeah one of my favorite artists um yeah, so I mean, uh, Frontline Assembly is one of the groups we're discussing that I've listened to a lot in the past, especially some of their heavier stuff from the mid-90s, like the more industrial metal stuff. Right. But uh, briefly, they uh, they have some phenomenal high-energy beats and a great sound, so I I just, uh, just a band I really like. They're really consistent. Like yep. They've put out a ton of material over the years, and uh, there's very little of it I don't like. It's, uh, it's really good. I, I mean, it's, it's not one of those bands where you can listen to them all day, every day, because, it's, you know, they... They have their their sound, you know, and it eventually we get maybe a little repetitive, but they uh, yeah, you can really get into them like once in a while. Yeah, yeah, definitely. When I'm in the mood for it, it's it's great. Mm-hmm. So um, by the '90s, industrial music had moved away from the fringes into the mainstream. So artists like Nine Inch Nails and Marilyn Manson, who I mentioned yeah. before, started selling millions of records, so it became like a big thing. So the uh, the definition of industrial music by this point seems to broaden a bit. So not just used to refer to the uh, the artsy. Once again, the avant-garde <laughs> experimental noise it was like the uh, yeah the avant-garde experimental noise and stern talking or yelling that much of the earlier material was. <laughs> that's, honestly, that's what it sounds like. Or the uh, or even the more dance beat-driven industrial of the mid to late '80s. But really, like we mentioned before in other episodes, where it describes any combination of electronic music and rock or metal, and then there's various subgenres off of that as well. Yeah, gotcha. So I mean, even now when you talk about industrial. You know, it could refer to like strictly electronic music. There's, you know, alternative industrial tinged music. There's like industrial metal. There's, and then there's a whole bunch of like, even just the strictly electronic stuff, there's a whole bunch of subgenres. Like, I, yeah, yeah. I was going to list them, but it would off. be like, yeah, it would just be too much to list. I'll mention a couple a little further on here, but like, I can't get too deep into it because it never ends. No, I mean, that totally makes sense. Like, even just there used to be just kind of an indie genre, and now it's like indie rock, indie pop, indie rap, like every single thing on yeah. top of that. 
All right, so on to uh, the band that you were all excited to talk about, uh, Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> just, just excited that I could contribute mostly. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb here and say they're the most commercially successful true industrial band. Somebody could uh, maybe prove me wrong on that one, but I'm pretty sure they're, they are. Although that sometimes sounds right. They're, they are huge. Yeah, although sometimes leaning towards uh, heavier guitar-driven songs like, uh, I mean, I say they, but it's really Trent Reznor. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. right after he made Pretty Hate Machine, the, the first album, they made an album called Broken. It's an EP, and it was fairly heavy and more guitar-driven compared to that or the one after, uh, right? Out, the Downward Spiral. Oh, that was right before Downward Spiral. Okay. Yeah, it was. It was in between. So, yep. uh, most of Trent Reznor's music is electronic-based. Uh, he started playing keyboards in a synth-pop band, but he had his own vision of the music he wanted to make and went off and did his own thing, obviously. Right. Nine Inch Nails were formed in 1988, released Pretty Hate Machine in 1989. Uh, and then hit it really big with the downward spiral in 1994, which you know anybody who knows music at all, will. Have... Yeah, like one of the biggest albums of all time. And uh, Reznor plays most of the instruments for Nine Inch Nails in the recordings himself, although he'll play with a, a band when performing live, because it'd be very very difficult to play all those instruments himself. <laughs> it's like one of those like those one man bands with like cymbals between the knees and like. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Just Trent Reznor with 20 keyboards all at once, I guess. Yeah, just hanging off of them. Um, yeah, so I won't get too deep into Nine Inch Nails because that could be a whole separate episode. Yeah, they've got um, their own thing going on. Uh, White Zombie is often categorized as an industrial band. Their really? early, Yeah, their, their early stuff would be categorized more as noise rock. Like they're really early stuff from like the mid-'80s, late-'80s. Yeah. Uh, but, but later on, uh, Le Sexorcisto, it uses a ton of electronic samples. And then Astro Creep, their album after that, it uses samples and electronic beats. And then they also remixed a bunch of stuff from those albums uh, with electronic artists for super sexy swinging sounds. Okay. It's just an album of remixes. So. Yeah. Uh, then I'll talk about a, a few industrial groups from the 90s, a little more recent. So a band called Fear Factory. They're, uh, they're definitely metal, but Fear Factory always had an electronic element using synthesizers and samples right from the start. And right. uh, I remember the first time I heard them was when someone in my team was blasting their demanufacturer album in the dressing room before a hockey game when I was like 14. Huh. And uh, I've loved them ever since. Oh. So they're definitely on the heavier end, but they're uh, they're considered industrial metal for sure. Okay. Yeah, it makes uh, sense. And then some other bands. We talked about Marilyn Manson. And uh, Marilyn Manson actually got big uh, by being... He was produced by Trent Reznor uh, when he got big, like that Antichrist Superstar album that we talked about. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean... From what I read about when they both talk about it, it's like Reznor didn't help him like write the songs or anything. He just helped produce the album and got him in, I guess, right into the industry like in, in a bigger way. Just sort of supported but, it generally. Yeah, but they. I was reading that that uh, Louder Than Hell book. It's the, the history of metal, and yeah. there's a there's a big section on industrial music, and I was reading through that, and within that that section, there's uh they'll they'll have a bunch of different artists that are related, you know, either industrial musicians or they're you know influenced by them or whatever, and they're talking right. about this stuff and. And Marilyn Manson and Trent Reznor, they feud within the book. So like one of them will have like a little part of an interview or whatever. They'll say something and then the other guy will be like, I don't know why he'd say that. And then like go off and like counter it, <laughs> like tell his side. And it's like they, they, they feud like back and forth between a few pages in this book. It's pretty, pretty crazy. But uh, yeah, I know I, if you have a chance, if anyone has a chance to, to pick up that Louder Than Hell book, it's, it's actually really good. And that particular section is pretty interesting. So I think I've talked about that book before. There's a, there's a lot of good stuff in it. it You've definitely, yeah, I mentioned it before. Yeah. So an, anyways, as you can probably gather, I, I love a lot of industrial music, industrial rock and metal. And it feels like to me, to explain like why I find it so appealing, it feels like I'm listening to the soundtrack to some dystopian future and there's something appealing in that for me. Like I, it's, it's, it's really hard to describe. It's like, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's like it's some kind of a, an escape, I guess, you know? Like when you nah, watch I, mean, I understand exactly what you mean by that, though. Like, it's just yeah, the, like, the aura it gives off. Yeah, it's like when you really get really into a sci-fi movie and it just like pulls you out of like the crap that you deal with day to day, you know. And that's kind of what what industrial music does for me, I guess. So I, maybe it does that. Yeah, like it, feel, it feels like you're in a whole different world. Yeah, and I guess that's why the early stuff doesn't appeal to me as much because it doesn't give have the same effect on me. As it's the not, stuff, it like, doesn't have the same depth. Yeah. Yeah, like once I get into stuff like uh, Skinny Puppy and Ministry and uh, uh, Frontline Assembly, that, that's the kind of stuff that really I could really just like lose myself in. You know. It gets it gets more kind of weird. I gotcha. Yeah. 
yeah, so I mean, there's there's tons of industrial bands that we could talk about. We only have so much time, but uh, yeah, I'll I'll uh, I'll put as much into the extended playlist as I can, and we'll throw up a a link on that, and I'll just keep adding stuff to it, whatever I can find that sounds good. That's you know within the spectrum of what we're talking about here. Sweet. So, all right, let's go to the workout playlist. Yeah, sounds good. I ain't got time to bleed. Days of the Jawas. Let's put a smile on that face. All right, so unfortunately, I have to put on a few of these early bands that I don't necessarily listen to normally. <laughs> but just for posterity. I'll, I'll, yeah, just just for for like reference, right? Um, so the first song we'll talk about is a song by Throbbing Gristle. It's called Hot on Heels of Love from the album okay. 20 Jazz Funk Greats, which is a super strange name for that type of album um, okay. from, from 1979. Mm. Um, so like I said, I'm not the biggest fan personally of this music. Uh, too artsy for me. It's like they're trying too hard to be weird and different. Right. Uh, and so they're okay. just like making good music. But it's, uh, I mean, obviously I can't see it from their point of view. There was, there was something about the situation they're in that necessitated this kind of art, I guess. Um, but it's a great starting point to see where things go. And this song actually unlike a lot of the songs from those first couple throbbing gristle albums it actually has a cool beat and sounds almost like music although it's almost closer it sounds, to synth sounds pop. almost like music yeah well it, it, it's got a, it actually does sound like a like a song so yeah. uh, that's why I cho- that's why i chose it so yeah give it a listen cool all right yeah uh hot on heels of love throbbing gristle like less and less sold as the song went on <laughs> yeah. it kicks off and i'm like ah, I, i'm kind of into it and then the weird offbeat like whip sound <laughs> starts yeah they like to throw in that was the thing they like to throw in a lot of noises here and there and like in, in when you get into like you know the mid 80s and when you get into like uh, skinny puppy and ministry like those those sounds they throw in really add to the song they don't throw you off but some of that early stuff it really like you're like what, what was like it just doesn't it's like yeah. out of context almost right Exactly. Yeah, it sounds like they're randomly pressing buttons on the synthesizer. I guess what I got to think about, I guess when I'm when I when I listen to that is that that's 1979, so that's fairly groundbreaking as far as like even just the beat and stuff goes. With yeah, the composition. I guess so. So mm-hmm. it's it's just kind of a, a starting point, I guess. Uh, the next song we'll talk about is from a group called Cabaret Voltaire. The song is called Yashar from the album's Two by Forty Five from 1982. Though the uh, the intro was all samples, which like vocal samples, which lead into, uh, well, uh, I don't know about vocals, but like somebody talking, <laughs> you know, uh, lead into a cool kind of exotic sounding electronic beat. And there's some other instruments and noises thrown in later on, uh, just laying some more groundwork for the direction the music will take here. Right. Yeah, sure. All right. Yashar. <laughs> that one that one i love because it's uh there's it's on beat for for one thing for the most part yeah, yeah. like it, there's an actual flow to it um well it's, it, it's starting to, it's starting to get the right tone i find it's like the, like the more like kind of that darker more sinister like harder edge tone you know yeah absolutely like it, it just um it is exactly what you said it makes you feel like you're in a dystopian future yeah yeah, exactly. So yeah, we're, we're starting to go in the right direction. But um, so this is the other group that I meant to talk about earlier, and I, I totally forgot, or I, I left, left it out of my notes. But so song number three, it's by a band called, they're a German band called Einstrzende Neubotten. If you couldn't tell, that was German. <laughs> I think he did pretty well on that, actually. Um, 
And the song is called Stay Off Berlin. Okay. That's, that's not that's not in English, so I don't like hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, from the album Collapse from 1981. So this group, I meant to talk about them before, but they basically like all their music was created or their early music was created from they use like actual tools and like uh, hand tools and power tools to create music. Like they didn't even use real instruments. Right. It's really different and like groundbreaking at the time, like something that nobody really heard before. That's uh, so cool. the first 30 plus seconds of the song is literally just noise from a drill or some other power tool. <laughs> and then, and then shouting in German over some very sharp tinny percussion. Uh, it, it doesn't sound like they use any conventional instruments whatsoever. It's a very avant-garde. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. You, that's, that's the, th I think the third one, you've reached your, your quota. Uh, sorry, I will need the, I'll need the German name again. Einstersend Neubotten. Einster. If you go like E I E I N S T, it'll probably come up. Uh, yeah. Okay. Einstersend Neubotten. Hey, did really good, man. I mean, as long as I was sounding it out. If I was pronouncing it right, then so were you. So. Or we're both wrong. All right, let's check this out. It definitely sounds like they're using real tools and stuff. Yeah, did you get past that first 30 seconds though? Uh, I, zip, I zipped ahead, yeah, and he's like screaming. <laughs> at one point yeah <laughs> they're definitely like different like pushing the limits yeah, right definitely it's not uh it's, it's not driving music i'll say that no no it's uh it's not necessarily my thing but i really appreciate what they're doing there yeah it's not it's not like i think they're just idiots messing around it's really interesting what they're trying but yeah it's not hmm. something you can just sort of throw on yeah it's, it's not an easy listen that's for sure absolutely Okay, uh, on to song four. We're going to do a song by Killing Joke called Requiem from their self-titled al album Killing Joke in 1980. Uh, this is closer to conventional song structure and instrumentation, but uh, the, the, this early Killing Joke track really showcases the electronic element in their early material. It's got right. fairly gruff, menacing vocals and a pretty heavy guitar riff over top of the electronics. Uh, it's pretty heavy when you kind of layer everything together, and uh, it's definitely innovative and original for the time period. Okay. And uh, Foo Fighters actually covered this song live in like 1997. Oh, that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. He did uh, that Bee Gees cover that one time. It was really good. Oh, yeah, I remember that. That was pretty solid. Just like killed it. Right. Um, cool. Let's check it out. Requiem. Killing joke. But there's nothing to say. shows the, the progression in an interesting way because you can tell it's like it's evolving to kind of more how you would picture it now but they almost swing so far the other way they're punk so it's yeah like i think they were you know at some point somebody might have called them punk or like related to punk a bit but they didn't consider themselves a punk band but they right. definitely like came from that direction at some point you know like the, yeah the well, kind of this is all this is all considered like post-punk right so Right. This is all the stuff that branched off from punk. So definitely yeah, a, an influence there. So, yeah, no, I just wanted to throw that in there to start going in the right direction away from that noisy, artsy <laughs> shit. <laughs> Whatever that was, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, so getting more into the stuff that I'm more into. Uh, song 5 by Skinny Puppy. The song is Assimilate from the album Bites from 1985. Uh, so Skinny Puppy had such a unique sound, this, the creepy atmospheric beats with all sorts of samples and noises. And the lead singer, uh, Nivek Ogre, which is uh, not his real name, but <laughs> <laughs> his, uh, his kind of pain-sounding raspy vocals 
and uh, foreboding lyrics. They add a, a sense of hopelessness and despair, which is uh, it's like really emotionally stimulating and groundbreaking for the time. Okay. I, I, I watched some of their live videos from back in the 80s, and I highly recommend checking out some of their live videos because the way they perform the songs, it like really adds to it. Okay. It was, it was very visual. Like he did a lot of the, you know, covered himself in blood on stage and stuff. And then like the, uh, the drummer had like these 45 gallon drums, like as his, <laughs> like, like actual, like industrial drums that he was using yeah. as drums. Like <laughs> it was pretty, pretty cool. That was really sweet. Okay. Uh, I'll check it out. Assimilate skinny puppy. I like it. I like that next step. It's like a mix of the last couple of bands. Yeah, they're really uh, progressing in the right direction, I find, at this point. Yeah, definitely. And I looked up the, the live performance, too, and you're right. That is quite the quite the spectacle. Yeah, it's like a very, like, I mean, the, the music is already pretty good, but you add the visual to it, and it's just like a, that whole, it's like another dimension. It's Yeah, exactly. It's a, yeah, it's a whole amazing. experience altogether. Would have been a great show to go to back in the day, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just a quick side note, I was reading some stuff on uh, Nivek Ogre. He's the, his real name is like Kevin Ogilvy, by the way. But uh, okay. <laughs> so they, I guess he was doing a show in the States recently, and he got jumped before the show, and somebody like busted his jaw in two places. Jeez. Like, and, and, he, and he still got on stage in time and performed the entire show with his jaw broken. I had a feeling that's <laughs> where it was going, but that's still insane. And, like, didn't, and didn't, even, didn't even say anything, didn't even complain. Like He just did the show. Yeah, Yeah, pretty nuts, man. That's very, very Canadian. (laughs) Oh, I forgot. Yeah, I guess you know what? That is kind of right. That's hockey player mentality. Like you take a puck in the face and like they quickly stitch you up or like whatever, spit out the blood and the teeth and get back out there. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It was very. All right, uh, number six. We have to do a ministry song. I know of, like I said, I've had a lot of ministry on other episodes, and uh, I have to include them. So hopefully, this isn't a repeat song. But the song is Over the Shoulder from the album Twitch from 1986. Um, this is some post-synth pop pre-guitar ministry. We want to like kind of slide that in the middle there. With a, it's a, a great hard industrial beat and plenty of samples in it. Sweet. And uh, yeah, this is like, you know, the progression from that crappy record label album he made. Yeah. Sweet. Uh, yeah, Over the Shoulder ministry. I don't think we've done this. It doesn't seem familiar. this in the, the best way possible but that's the the first song uh so far that i think would be perfect for like a teenage mutant ninja turtles fight with some live action ones that seems hey, like that kind of song i'm totally into that that's uh one of my favorite <laughs> movies of all time so it is it is yeah. amazing you know what i mean though like the whole environment of just like giant plastic turtle a lot of yeah. bright colors yeah you could you could core, you could choreograph a live action ninja turtle fight to that song yeah sure. ex- exactly yeah. very easily <laughs> Yeah, it's very, very 80s. But uh, yeah, no, I, I love it. That's great. So we're going to go in a bit of a heavier direction for this one. So song number seven is a song by KMFDM. We're going to do the song Drug Against War from the album Angst from 1993. So I was, I was tempted to keep the playlist to pre-1990, but I honestly like the 90s KMFDM way better. So I had to go with something from that era. Uh, it's a great example of an electronic beat with a looping guitar riff, probably KMFDM's heaviest song and okay. from one of their more guitar-heavy albums. And it's a, it's a great high energy song that I use in my workout, the actual workout playlist. And uh, mm-hmm. it's got an oddly positive message. So, <laughs> like, uh, thematically. 
Right. Are you actually you've shown this to me before? We were talking yeah, I put about it on. Something. I put it on like a, a family playlist that we had. We were, <laughs> yeah. It was like a joke. Yeah. Was there's like a really soft acoustic band called The War on Drugs, and I like commented on it, and you've put in a drug against war. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was my response. It's a really, it's a great song though. It's one of my favorite KMFDM songs. All right, yeah, let's check it out. Drug against war, KMFDM. It's like another push in the, the heavier rock kind of direction, but it's the way it's produced and I guess mixed. It, it really it does sound industrial, just like heavier side of it. Yeah, I like. Yeah, it, it sounds like it sounds like a an electronic song, but just with like a, a heavy riff looped in it. Yeah, exactly, and it, yeah. it's done really well though. I like it. Yeah, KMFDM has some some great stuff, and I mean, it's a lot of their a lot of their stuff that's more electronic without the heavy guitar is also really good. I just have a soft spot for this one, but they, they have yeah. a lot of. Gotcha. They have a lot of good music. I think their their newest album. Like I'll put some songs from uh, some of their new albums on the extended playlist. But there's some great stuff on there too. They're uh, they're still putting out good music. Sweet. Um, all right. So song number eight. We're gonna do a frontline frontline assembly song. So frontline assembly has lots of good industrial metal stuff. But I'll probably I'll go a little bit earlier than that. I'm gonna do the song. Uh, it's called Isolate from the album Caustic Grip from 1990. They have like I said so many great hard hitting beats. Uh, and it's like it makes you feel like you're in the future, like in a term, in like Terminator, where the machines have enslaved us. <laughs> it's like <laughs> atmospherically sinister, but energizing. And uh, their lyrics are usually pretty grim, and the vocals are pretty severe. And it really adds to the the atmosphere of it. Sweet, yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, already just looking at the uh, the album cover, which I love. Yeah. Oh man, just their album there. covers and their song names are amazing. But they uh, they have a good sound too. Sweet. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, isolate, frontline assembly. like if david bowie was singing over the terminator scene yeah, yeah. i didn't expect him to sound like david bowie but it, it works yeah i think on some of their later stuff like on the uh on the more industrial metal stuff more in the, in the 90s the vocals get probably a little rougher right but it's uh yeah it's, it's pretty it's pretty aggressive music but it's uh mm -hmm. even the purely electronic stuff which i guess is kind of a characteristic of industrial music in general is the, the aggressiveness but but it's really unique i i I do enjoy it. Yeah, they they have a really like, great sound. Like I said, you can't listen to them, j them and only them for a long time because it'll just get a little bit much. Yeah, like, you, once all, like, yeah. you throw on one of their albums, like pretty much all their albums are good. So you, like you throw on one of their albums and you could just like, you know, once in a while, and you really get into it. But uh, mm -hmm. all right, we'll do a couple more here. So we we got to do a Nine Inch Nails song. Um, I'm not going to do Closer. <laughs> That's okay. I'm, not, I'm honestly not the biggest fan of that song. Closer, Closer might be my least favorite song on that album. It, probably because it's overplayed, but also that album's amazing. And like, yeah, there's so much else on. Closer, closer is sort of a gimmick song to me. It's all about the, the, the lyrics, right? Like, the song that can have lyrics like that and go mainstream is like this big thing, I guess. But yeah, um, yeah. to me, there's so many good songs on that album that I kind of just don't even. I don't even listen to Closer anymore because it's so overplayed. Mm -hmm. But well, uh, I mean, Hurt gets more playtime now, anyways. I I love Hurt, and I'm and I'm gonna piss off some people here, but the Nine Inch Nails version to me is way better than the Johnny Cash version. I don't care what anybody <laughs> tells me. I, I will never, ever like the Johnny Cash version better than the Nine Inch Nails I, version. I pretty much see them as like two entirely different songs. Yeah, they are. Like, I respect it. I respect the Johnny Cash version, and I respect Johnny Cash. Like, I, the guy was a great storyteller. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but like, that song, to me, I listened to the Nine Inch Nails version so many times and got so into it, and, like, it was so personal for me. And then... The people that didn't even know it was a Nine Inch Nails song, they thought it was a Johnny Cash song. It was like I was so offended. 
<laughs> on a on an, on a cover album, <laughs> on an album yeah. that's nothing but covers. But a lot of and people you know don't. There's better know songs that, right? on that album too. Yeah, but so I mean, I, I'm not trying to trash Johnny Cash or, or trying to rhyme, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> this is my favorite version. Well, okay, I'm not. I actually wasn't even going to use that song. So uh, this is like yeah, an aside. we gotta we gotta move past. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm getting caught up in a bit of a tirade here, but uh, so this, I'm going to do the song uh, "Heresy" from the Downward Spiral from 1994. Uh, so I got to throw in something from the biggest industrial band in the world, uh, yeah. one of my favorite albums of all time. So it's, it's a great song. It's got a hard beat and drums and uh, these distorted vocals and this somehow melodic cacophony of a chorus, which is amazing. I just really wanted to use that word cacophony. <laughs> that was it was like your list of things you need to say and that that word actually perfectly describes so much industrial music too so yeah. it has an avant-garde cacophony to it <laughs> um all right heresy it's been a while since i've listened to this album so let's hear it <laughs> Oh my god! How could I forget about that? Now I'm remembering how much I listened to this when I was in high school, just over and over again. Oh, it's so good! That that line, like as soon as he says "God is dead," you're hooked into the song. Yeah, yeah. and no one cares. <laughs> yeah, it's you're just I love he's that so song. angry, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I'm just like not entirely sure at what. <laughs> yeah, it's so good though. Like there's just so much noise and so much going on mm-hmm. in that song, but it's still it's still like catchy and melodic. Like I mean, that's that's like almost every song on that album too. Is is it's so good. Yeah, yeah. It just it works really, really, really well. All right, we're gonna hit up one more song. Uh, oh, but another thing about the Nine Inch Nails song. So I mentioned the drums, uh, but I'm also 99 percent sure that's a drum machine. Just, <laughs> just a full, uh, full disclosure. Ah, okay. <laughs> yeah, like I know when he performs it live, he has drummers, but like, uh, like in on the, the album, recording. in the recording, I'm pretty sure it's a drum machine. Yeah. So when I when I say like you know I was talking about the hard beat and the drums and stuff, but yeah, I I realize that it's not actual drums most likely. Yeah, just just to be clear. Yeah. <laughs> All right, number ten, we're gonna go heavy again. We're gonna do a song by Fear Factory called Demanufacture, the title track from the album Demanufacture from 1995. So uh, we've come a long way from the experimental noise of the early industrial scene, all the way to mid 90s industrial metal. Yeah. So the the heavy riffs and almost death metal style vocals, uh, they definitely take center stage in this music. But the electronic elements and, uh, and Fear Factory really uses a lot of like technology themes, so they really uh, they really work that in. Like they're definitely uh, industrial metal, but they, I mean right. the metals hits is very heavy. Yeah, yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's check it out. Demanufacturer, Fear Factory. me almost almost goth metal vibes on that one a little less industrial but it's it's sweet it's got like a good heavy riff to it yeah it's a great it. riff and uh you can definitely but if you if you listen to it you can really hear the synth in the background through pretty much the mm-hmm. whole song and there's like little samples in there and stuff and yeah it makes used, like a bed for the whole thing they use a lot of electronic stuff in in pretty much their whole library and they did an album of yep. They did an album called Remanufacture right after this, which was remixes of all this stuff. So yeah, I just figured we're gonna go full circle with that. Yeah, and they're, they're, totally. I mean, there there's so much good industrial music, even some of the that old artsy noise stuff to like the purely electronic stuff with all the, the you know just samples and different kinds of beats and stuff in the '80s, then to stuff that involves more, you know, guitar and uh, yeah, uh, you know, yeah. metal stylings and stuff. And they're just like. There's just a huge list of subgenres and, and great bands from all of them. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll try to encompass some of that in the extended playlist if people want to check that out. I'll try to make a good one for you. Sweet. 
yeah so yeah that's that's it for today cool all right uh i mean i'm gonna be checking out uh like frontline assembly for sure and checking out that entire album i really like the vibes a lot of those songs give if you want like a heavier like the the more metal industrial metal style of there there's a check yeah. out those ones i mentioned millennium and hardwired the ones that okay. they did in the mid 90s if uh it's it's like the same sound but with like heavy guitar and the, the vocals are maybe a little bit a little harder a little heavier yeah okay yeah i definitely will uh all right yeah i guess that's uh that's it unless there's any like news or anything um actually i will mention that there's a new metallica single out that lux eterna i don't know if you heard it oh i haven't and listened to it yet no so the, the song's pretty good like as far as new metallica goes it's <laughs> I, don't, I don't mind it like james actually doesn't sound like a stupid cowboy in it like his vocals sound <laughs> decent and uh there's a pretty sweet guitar solo in it but uh right. i noticed that <laughs> there's I was, I was looking at a list of worst metallic it was like it was a ranking of metallica covers from like worst to best right and that that new album was like right at the worst end of it <laughs> and, hmm. uh check it out like the the cover is pretty shitty it's called 72 seasons the album and it's just like i don't know man there's just something about that cover it just seems like a bad idea like it just it doesn't do it for me i gotta tell you hmm. just take a look yeah <laughs> like I'm, I'm not uh, loving the cover don't even really understand what i'm supposed to take away from it <laughs> i just don't i just don't know <laughs> it's like there's there's a lot going on there and i don't like any of it it feels like something i'd see in a dentist's office like in a like honestly even just the, co the color even that yellow in the background is like it's just too much like if they had even just changed the color of the background it would have made it yeah. like way better so like i said that first single is not not bad i don't mind it I'm hoping yeah. the rest of the album is pretty good. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna judge it more by the music than the cover. But I'm not very impressed by the cover. <laughs> right, right away, I don't like the album. And, I haven't even heard it. And I'm trying to get excited about it because I got tickets to go see them in like 2024, mostly because yeah. you know Pantera's opening for them. But right. uh, hopefully, like I said, hopefully musically the album's better than the cover would lead me or to believe. Or they just played old songs, <laughs> mostly. Yeah, well, most likely. But they, uh, they're playing two shows. In, in Edmonton where we're going to see him and they're playing entirely different set lists for both shows. So uh, that's pretty cool. The chance they might play some of the new stuff, but yeah, yeah. It'll be, oh, it should be a good show sweet. regardless. Yeah. As long as this album cover isn't like their backdrop, we'll be good. <laughs> it's all, it's all yellow crib themed. <laughs> oh man. All right. Anyway, that's, uh, that's all my news I got. <laughs> um, all right. Well, uh, I guess that's that's going to do it. Uh, that playlist we just went over. Don't forget, it is on Spotify. We update it every week with these new songs. So uh, make sure to check it out. And that's going to do it for this episode of The Heavy. See the show notes for a complete list of songs that you heard in this episode. we got a link to that Season 3 workout playlist. And then uh, also be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please tell a friend and leave us a rating on iTunes. Our website is theheavy.podbean.com. You can email us at theheavypod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at theheavypod on all of those. Our show is edited by Ian Sutherland. Andrew does the research. Our brother Rob designed the logo. Our theme song is Stallions of the Highway by Savage Blade. And I'm your host, Don Sutherland. Thanks for listening. Later.